this week, we're talking about one of the things first-time buyers complain about the most, dealing with real estate agents. If you don't get this right, you could miss out on the property of your dreams. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyer's agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're talking about how to deal with real estate agents. They're not all shonks, believe it or not. So let's talk about how to work out which ones you can trust and which ones you have to play the game with. But before we get into that, watch your special house this weekend, this weekend, this week, Megan. This week. (laughs) (laughs) For those who who don't watch um, on YouTube, and you can if you like to, always have a house in the background, just something interesting, something that's, um, you know, I like property. We all like property, something that's curious. This one, Veronica, oh. is my favourite house. <laughs> so this is called Cove House and it's in Cronulla. It's on the water and it has the most amazing bathtub in an ensuite I've ever seen in my life. I just, I looked at that and I just, I just shuddered how good it was. (laughs) Now, it is well and truly a stepping stone um, strategy destination house. (laughs) You're not going into this one early. It last sold in December 2021 for $14 million. Yep. So this is a couple of weeks ago. I was talking about the house in Cronulla that I used to walk past in the Esplanade. And mind you, it's had a mega transformation since then. And to be honest, there's some things that they've done to it that I think – I don't know. It, they've taken away the original charm and the original sort of pure shell feeling of it, but it's a pretty goddamn amazing house. And those views, looking out to sort of Bundina and Main Bar, pretty special. Thanks for sharing wow. that one, Megan. That sort of makes me feel what like an amazing spot. And I'm working hard. <laughs> and we're, we we are still aspirational for something like that. Absolutely, so. <laughs> absolutely. Now, how many times do you hear complaints from buyers about real estate agents, Veronica? Oh, every day. (laughs) (laughs) You know, funnily enough, in our business, it's almost like if we didn't, if people didn't complain about real estate agents, there'd almost be no reason for a buyer's agent. I mean, half of what people do, they come to us saying, 
oh, can you believe they did this, they did that, whatever, you know? And it's like without all of that, without us being able to explain what actually what's going on and why they might have done it and, and commiserate sometimes, then I don't mm. think we'd have a job. Yeah, yeah, quite true actually. And and the interesting thing is in a lot of cases it's sort of the misunderstanding of what the agent's job is that leads people to think that the agent is a frustration in the process. And, and, and you know, it's one of our Home Buyer Academy principles and that is the real estate agent represents the seller. They don't represent the buyer. And I think that misunderstanding is sometimes the cornerstone of many disagreements and, and many frustrations for buyers. Yeah. And look, the thing is that a good real estate agent will look after the buyer in so much that, you know, they get to do their job, which is selling the house for the best possible price. So, of course, they're going to look after buyers to that end. However, they are paid by the owner. So, in terms of who they represent and who they're going to do the hardest work for, it's the Mm -hmm. owner, not you, you know. And I think if you went into a shop to buy a dress and you put it on and you yourself thought it didn't look the best on you, but the person in the shop saying, oh, my God, that's so amazing on you, like you'd probably think, you know, they're just paid to say that. And I think sometimes you're buying, selling property or, you know, the buyers don't necessarily remember that the agent's just paid to say whatever they're saying. Yeah, without misrepresenting. Now, an agent can't misrepresent. (laughs) Uh, well, they shouldn't, yeah, but we, we said that not all agents are shonks and <laughs> I, I guess we come from that position that there are some, yeah. some good agents out there. But the first thing to really, really wrap your head around is that the agent works for the seller. 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 And Have I got the it? agent Have, works got for the now? seller. <laughs> so, I mean, the thing is. Are we clear? <laughs> the analogy with the dress and whether the green dress suits you or not is, and the house and whether this, the house is right for you or not, is that the sales agent isn't really bothered by whether that property is the right one for you. No. It doesn't really or bother Or which them. buyer buys the property. Yeah. At the end of the day, they mm. just want to sell it to whoever's going to be sometimes the nicest to deal with. So that can come into it. So don't get too antsy with them because you can actually shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> but let's just run through some of the most annoying things that agents do. And I guess in yep. some cases it is because they're being annoying and they're painful. Other times it's because they're misunderstood. So I guess our role and that's is a really to help. good point. Yeah, yeah. So often what you and I both ask our, our potential clients when they come to us is tell us about your journey so far and uh, what, are the, what are the reasons that you're coming to us? What are your frustrations? And this, these are the sorts of things that people are saying when they get to a point of I need someone else to step in here and manage this process or take this over, otherwise I might blow a valve and, you know, ex- ex- explode at the wrong time and no one wants to do that. You know, <laughs> no. you, want, you want to curtail your frustration at the right point before you, uh, totally. <laughs> before you let loose on someone. Probably yeah. the most. Um, the most Underquoting. Yeah. Veronica, yeah, it's, it's, so it's not a Queensland thing. I'll get to Queensland in a minute because in Queensland they don't give you any price indication. That's a legal thing. That's not even an agent thing. But in New South Wales and Victoria in particular, where there are, it's a really strong auction culture and a high percentage of properties are auctioned. Tell us about this underquoting thing that people get really frustrated about. Well, and I'll tell you what, agents get under, uh, frustrated by underquoting as well. Like, Oh, it, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, so underquoting is where the agent deliberately quotes the property as low as possible in terms of price. 
um, in order to get as much interest as possible so that when it goes to auction or if it's an offer scenario where they've got lots of people fighting over it, that, that they've got more people interested in it. And so it makes sense, you know, pure marketing, supply and demand, you know, lower the price so more people are interested and then let them fight it out. And that's that's the basic principle. Now, there and one is- of the reasons for that, can I just dig into that? Because this is really important. What you're saying is really vital that people understand. The reason that an agent might quote it low is because as a buyer, if you're looking at properties in, say, uh, $900,000 price range, right? So in, depending on whether you're regional or city, that might be extraordinarily high or it might be extraordinarily low, but let's let's call it 900. So if you're looking at properties that are selling and, and um, are advertised around that sort of 900 point and you see something that's quoted in a range of somewhere between 850 and 900, that property, if it's actually worth somewhere between 920 and 950, it starts to look like extraordinarily good value and you're getting a lot of bang for mm. your buck. So that's why underquoting or quoting low is often seen as a way to bring people in and get them emotionally attached to the property. Yeah, whereas if you quote at 950 for that same property, most buyers are going, oh, I'm not, I don't want to compete for that. I don't want to pay that and, and mm. I'm not going to fight for it at that price and so they'll get no interest. And, and so million-dollar buyers go, oh, God, that doesn't look anywhere near as good as what I'm looking at at yeah, a million no, dollars. So you kind of lose those higher buyers as well. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a real art to get that quoting right. Quoting is a, is a very delicate art and it's also changes with market conditions. So agents are very sensitive to getting that quote right because they're scared that if they get it wrong, buyers are not going to pile onto the property. Right. So, and it's a very, very fine art. And the problem is, of course, buyers will make this assumption that, you know, to varying degrees. So buyers will say, oh, I'll add 10% or I'll add $50,000 or whatever. So whatever their rule of thumb is, if they do that every time, they're going to be out some other time. And also the agent's careful not to quote too close to what it's really worth because if they know that buyers add a certain amount of money. So you get that there's this game being played and it's really difficult for everybody to interpret it. And so, I think you just have to expect agents to underquote and then you have to expect that some are going to do it more than others, as in they're, they're going to be bigger culprits than others. Um, but there's always a degree that they will underquote. And the agents that don't underquote often don't get the best prices. And so, therefore, buyers are playing a part in this, you know, and so it's tough. And I get that it's awful for buyers, particularly first-home buyers, and not only just first-home buyers, but anybody entering the market at the beginning of their journey, it takes them a while to get used to what prices are. And so you take the agents at face value at first, and then you start working out yourself, you know, where, where they sit. But a massive complaint is about underquoting. But I tell you what, and we'll get to Queensland in a sec because this is, I think, probably even more frustrating in many ways, what the law tells agents they can or can't do in Queensland, but also in Victoria or in New South Wales or other states that have auctions or even private treaty properties where there's actually not a price on it. You know, sometimes it happens like, oh, we're just going to get feedback. And the agent says, we're going to get feedback. What do you mean by feedback? You know, that is annoying. It's frustrating. It's like, well, you put something on that agency agreement. I can imagine that'd be frustrating for the seller as well. Like, well, tell I don't me know. what you think it's worth. Oh, well, they have, though. That's the thing. The agents have told the seller something. It's just that they're not sharing that same information with the buyers. Mm -hmm. And so I think that drives buyers nuts. And, and I agree, it is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> 
it even is as a professional sometimes yeah. to 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 weed weed through th- some of those things because um, there's certain laws as well, and we go into this in your first home buyer guide in the course. We we actually go in depth about how to work with price guides and and how to interpret them and so forth because. There is a process if an offer is made prior to auction, um, particularly you know, if it's an auction campaign, and it's at the high end of that um, quoted range, Veronica, the agent's got to make changes to the quoted range, do they, if, if that offer's rejected? Yeah. So here's another annoying thing for buyers is that the agent has requirements to um, adjust the quoting. If, if they Basically, if the vendor said, no, I won't sell for that price, they can't quote less mm. than that anymore. Because it's not fair, and there's legislation less to that effect. Well, that's a really important point yeah. in most pl- in most states and territories. The thing is that some shonky agents. So I said before, not all agents are shonky, but some are. Some shonky agents will do whatever they can to avoid taking an offer because they don't want to adjust the quoting. So there are these games that get played by oh. agents. And you have to be aware of that, but you also have to be aware that they're not all shonky. And so I think what uh, from, you know, from the buyer's point of view, from, from you going out there, dealing with these agents, to assume they're all shonky can actually put you at a disadvantage because you're not then mm. listening to what they're saying and working out, okay, that one is underquoting and they're just saying everything they can to keep quoting a low figure, whereas that one over there is actually adjusting their quoting and they're doing everything they can to do the right thing. And so you got to, I think, yeah. approach it with an open mind. Yeah, all people are different, including real estate agents. That's so true. <laughs> you touched on earlier, there's two things I want to just um, go back to. Is that that first one uh, uh, you mentioned, they don't pass on offers to the owner. We'll go back to that. But you did say that Queensland's a little bit different and, mm. and that's entirely true. Uh, a few years ago, um, the government at the time uh, grabbed a cricket bat to swat a fly when they decided that they were going to stop all agents from giving any price indication on auctions at all because they wanted to completely eliminate any any uh, perception of underquoting. Now, it was happening very rarely um, and it was really clear when it was happening because you could, you could see the patterns of the agents that were doing it. Uh, but what it did to the industry and what it did to buyers what it, was it removed any ability for an agent to give any price indication whatsoever, except for to provide, uh, except to provide uh, comparable sales that had been approved by the owner. So what that means in Queensland is that uh, if the property is being uh, advertised for sale by private treaty but without a price, the, the same r- rules ap- apply. Or if it's a public auction, the same rules apply, and that is um, the agent can prepare a list of comparable sales and the owner has to approve that list of comparable sales. Now, think about it. The owner wants the price to be as high as they can. The agent knows that if they over-pitch the price that they're going to lose some of those buyers. So it's a really interesting interpretation of the comparable sales that the agent provides. So you still need to be really quite clued up on how to interpret those sales, where the superior and inferior aspects of it are and how they relate to the subject property. So there is still 
a need for, even if you've got a list of comparable sales, there might actually be some sales that have been excluded from that list for a very strategic reason or some sales that have been included that aren't actually comparable, that, but they're trying to get you to think that a price might be at a certain level. So um, I, I always say you know, that's great that you've provided those. That's a starting point. You still have to do your price research really thoroughly and we've got the free course that people can do where where it teaches you how to do pricing um you still have to do your pricing research so even if um an agent won't can't can't give you a price and don't don't push them because you're actually asking them to lie and that's one of the things that people don't like about agents is if they <laughs> lie and misrepresent so don't ask them to do something that's illegal uh go and do your own work you know get yourself clued up and, and do your own work around the pricing and it's not hard to gather that information it's how you interpret it and what you do with it that's that's probably the challenging bit that needs a little bit of input and, and um education around that it's, it's funny you say, yes, you've got to do your own research, absolutely, because it's your responsibility you're about to buy and spend the most amount of money you've ever spent in your life. So it's absolutely your responsibility and not to just def- defer to whatever the agent says. But it's funny, agents are very good at objection handling. Now, you know, I remember as a sales agent, you would you would spin things that you know by yes. buyers are going to object to. And objection handling. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's the they're good at evading certain conversations. You know, if they don't want to actually bring um a light or shine a light on something that's negative about the property, they know other buyers are going to complain about. If you can somehow be distracted away from that, then they're doing their job, you know, and the pricing is one of those other areas where they can become quite evasive. And and that does frustrate the hell out of buyers, you know, because they want a straight answer, but they're not going to get a straight answer. And so I think if you realise once again what their job is and who they're looking after and what they're trying mm. to to achieve, it sort of makes it easier to go. Okay, they're just they're just objection handling. They're just being evasive because basically they don't want to have that conversation because it might negatively reflect or impact on the property or how I sell it or what it's going to sell for. Their job really at the end of the day is to gather bidders, particularly in a Mm. public auction. They need to gather bidders. And and one of the things, and you'll start to pick up on these, is, you know, some of the things that can be said are, look, if you've got that kind of budget, I strongly recommend you're there on the day. These sorts of things are the kinds of script and dialogue you'll hear from agents. And it's about gathering bidders so that you have a, a strong auction on the day. It's a very psychological process. And and Veronica, your book delves into it very, very deeply about how that process works and, and how as a buyer you can actually be a bit more in control of that process and understand what's being said, why it's being said and, and how to interpret it. So um, certainly, look, we, we are big advocates in most circumstances of going to auction because you can see what your opposition's doing. Don't don't shy away from that. Just be really, really well-informed and well-educated before you stand up at an auction and put your hand up. Somebody popped a, a comment on Facebook, one of the videos that I put out um, this week, and it was about, I think it was a friend of theirs that bought a property in in a southern suburb of Sydney, and they'd made an offer uh, on this property. I think it might have been $1.5 million or something, and apparently an, um, someone else had made one for, hang on now, I've got to get the story right. A friend of theirs had made an offer, say it was 1.38 or something, right? And somebody else had made an offer at 1.5. The agent went back to the person at 1.5, even though the 1.38 was nowhere near it. Like it was miles off, right? The agent Mm -hmm. has still gone back and got something like another $80,000 out of that highest bidder. 
um, because it was pre-auction and it was blind, you know, and so a lot of people are scared of auction. You're just talking Mm. about you like going to auction because of the transparency. I just thought to myself, that's a classic example of where the transparency of auction would have been better for the buyer, you know, and in that particular instance, yeah, Mm. because the, Mm. the agent... A, was working for the vendor, doing the right thing, doing their job, mm. earning their money. But that un, that mm. buyer that subsequently bought the property, I think they spent $200,000 more than the next person. And they, you know, the agent was bluffing, I guess, in terms of um, where that other offer was or, or figured that they had more money mm. and just said, look, you know, you're going to have to give us your best offer and maybe that's how they did it. So agents can be very, very good at getting people to part with their money. And that's something that, that buyers don't really like very much. <laughs> And that's fair. I don't like it much as a buyer either, but the agent's doing their job. And so your job as a buyer is to learn as much as possible about the process, about the value of the property, about understanding the right questions to ask, all these things that we teach in the course. You know, that's your job mm. is to clue yourself up as much as possible so you can take on that at um, that agent and be better equipped and be more evenly matched mm. with them. They will use all sorts of lines to get offers out of you. But the other thing about offers, sometimes they want an offer not so much yeah, to and sell practice, it. Well practiced. Very practiced. But they sometimes they want an offer not so much to sell mm. the property, but because they want to condition the owner. Yes. You come yeah, across that one, Megan? It's an interesting. Yeah. Mm. We we see that a little bit. Uh, and and that can often indicate that the owner either doesn't know and the agent doesn't know what it's actually worth or that the owner's expectations are well above what the the owner's expectations are well above what the agent's belief is that it will sell for. So part of the process of conditioning or educating the owner is to actually get market feedback uh, and that's why you'll often receive a, a phone call after an open house and say, you know, did you like the property? Are you interested? What do you think it's worth? And this is all gathering market data for an owner. But sometimes sometimes that's not enough and an agent will actually agitate to get some offers on the table so that they can go to the owner and say, look, this is, this is where the market is telling us your property is worth. We need to have a discussion around this uh, quoting range. Is it too high? Is it too low? Um, and also it's, it's, it's getting an owner prepared for setting their reserve. So an agent wants a reasonable reserve from the owner on the day. And trust me, as a buyer, you want the owner to have a reasonable reserve on the day. And, and part of what you need to do is, as a buyer is get the reserve reasonable so that you're not competing with the seller on the day. You know, at an auction, if the reserve's too high, the seller's actually just continually buying their property back from the market every time they say no to an offer. Um, but it is it is a process that you can have influence over where the seller represent, uh, sets the reserve, but you've got to be so careful about that price if you're going to put in an early offer. So what can happen under those circumstances where the agent's fishing for offers basically because they want to condition the owner is that you make an offer but nothing happens. You just hear crickets. Mm -hmm. And that's because they actually are not trying to sell it to you for that price. They're just trying to get an offer to do their job, right? And and a lot of buyers don't realise this. I don't agree with this. I don't think this is the right thing that they should do. But sometimes it happens. So quite often we do get buyers coming to us and say, I made this offer and then I heard nothing for days or nothing Mm. at all. And usually Mm. that's because the purpose of the offer from the agent's point of view is not actually to sell the property. It's actually to manage the owner and they're not doing a very good job of managing buyers either. So that is a legitimate reason to get pissed off with an agent. I think. (laughs) 
don't you? <laughs> look, look, it can be. Or, or if you're clued up and you understand what's going on and and this is what we teach in the course if you're clued up and you understand what's going on you can actually use this in your favor yes. so if if you if you are if you're picking up the signals that the agent thinks that the owner's reserve is going to be too high you can pitch a price that you know isn't going to buy it, but it's not so low that it's ridiculous um and then and then if a few other buyers pitch prices around the same thing that gives the agent a little bit of ammunition to inform the seller that perhaps their expectations are above what the market's prepared to to pay for the property so uh this is something that we have done in the past where it it has worked in our favor and that is to adjust the seller's expectations you'll be really careful you have to be prepared to buy the property for what you pay for it if on some fluke (laughs) you know (laughs) And and don't put in an unconditional offer if you're not able to be unconditional at that point in time. If you haven't done all your due diligence, if you haven't got your finance sorted, that's not the suggestions. Don't don't, don't throw a dart at the dartboard. Be really careful about putting any kind of offer in and ensure that if you got it, you would be happy. But it can be a useful tool as a buyer to help the agent to adjust the owner's expectations. And sometimes just being open about it can can actually get the outcome that you're wanting. Are you actually, you know, is the owner actually genuinely looking to sell? Or do you think they need some price feedback from the market to help them understand what the market would pay for it? That kind of open, honest conversation would put would sit an agent back on their butt to say, oh, hang on, I might, I might have someone that I can side with here. Yeah, there might are actually time. put you in there. Good books. Yeah. Good books, yeah. There absolutely are times when the agent actually, and this is not the majority of times by any stretch, right? This is this is a, a minority of times, but it does happen and we do the same thing. But there is there are times when actually the agent sort of needs a friend in the whole process mm, because some mm. owners can be really difficult to deal with, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yep. You know, and so therefore, if you always view the agent as the enemy, if you always view them as a shonk, even though a lot, some are, some are, not a lot, but, you know, they, a lot of people, actually there's 70,000 agents in Australia, so a lot are shonks, even if it's a small percentage. 10% yeah. is 7,000. If you 10% were shonks, there's still a lot of shonky agents. <laughs> but that's sort of, I digress. Even if you're dealing with a shonk, sometimes that will work for you, just being open and honest and being conciliatory and sort of going, look, you know, I get it. It's really hard dealing with people mm. day in, day out. What do you Everyone, need here? Even yeah. say to them, what do you need? Mm. You need help with the owner's expectations and be that person. It'll put you in good stead because if you're the person that says, do you need help with the owner's expectations and you put in something and there's a few other offers, there's a better chance the agent's going to come back to you as the person who was trying to help and say, look, the other offers are, you know, sitting here and here, what can you do? Uh, Anything that can get you a better inside running is worth trying. I know when I was a sales agent, you know, you get to know certain buyers and there are certain buyers that are just friendly. And and I I just think that that goes a long way when dealing Mm. with agents. Just be friendly. Even the assholes are nice. You know, when you're friendly yeah. to them, they're not used to it. <laughs> friendly but switched on. <laughs> friendly but switched on, on and aware and educated. Yeah. Mm. One of the other yeah. really yeah, frustrating absolutely. things. The other thing. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking over each other here. That's what one, we do. One of the other really frustrating. That's how we roll. 
<laughs> things that buyers will often complain about is that they don't know if the agent is bluffing when they mm. talk about another offer. It mm. often seems really convenient. I've made an offer and all of a sudden there's this other buyer there. Other oh, the buyers come yeah. out of the woodwork. Yeah. And, you know, it's, yeah, sure, sometimes they might be bluffing, but other times it actually might be because they've gone back to all the other buyers, as you would hope they do to you, and said, you know what, we've got a good offer on the table. There's mm. a good chance this is going to sell, you know, and then then they're going to make an offer. So sometimes they'll be bluffing, sure, but other times they're just doing their job. And the reason it seems it seems uh, convenient timing is purely because you've started the ball rolling. Mm. Yep. Or they come to you and say, I know you said you're interested, which is very important, Veronica. It's very important to always let an agent know if you're interested. Yes. Don't. Don't follow that old advice of keep your cards close to the chest, don't tell them anything because you'll miss out and you'll be angry that you missed out if you don't express interest. You can play too cool. You can be too cool. Simply saying, yeah, I really like it actually. I'm going to go and do some investigations is enough. It's enough to make sure they come back to you if an offer does actually come to the table. And and I think um, it, it is very market dependent. You know, right now we are in the midst of one of the most strong upward cycles that we've seen in most capital cities and regional locations. It's almost, you know, an unheard of Australia-wide um, growth cycle where there's too many buyers and not enough properties. So the demand for the properties is exceeding the supply. And in, in a market like that, you almost have to say, well, there probably is. <laughs> it is probably true that there is another offer on the table and then you need to think differently. In a different market where there might be more properties than buyers and you have a little bit of time to think, that's when you might question, mm, is there another offer on the table or is there not? And and the amount of people that are in open house are a fairly good indication as to whether there might be another offer yeah. or not. And, and and what level, what part of the market, the property clock, what part of the market cycle we're at. So that, that you do need to treat different parts of the market cycle very, very differently when you think about whether they're bluffing you or whether they're being honest about another offer. And right now, I would assume, I would assume there probably is. And the other thing you need to consider is how good the property is. A-grade properties, so if you've been learning all about A, B and C grade properties and if you've learned well, you'll be looking at an A grade and A grade has a much higher chance of having another buyer on it than a B or a C grade. Now, in a hot market, they've all got other buyers on it, so be very careful about competing for a B or C grade. But in a slow market, even the A's are likely to have another buyer that would be interested. So, you know, so it's market dependent. That's the number one thing. And then the number two is how good the property, the caliber of the mm. property. And number three is if you've done your pricing research and you are confident in your ability to determine what it's worth and what you're prepared to pay, then whether there's another buyer or not it sort of doesn't matter because it's just some agents will you will bluff because they aren't very nego- good negotiators and other agents will negotiate with you without bluffing, you know, mm. because they're good negotiators. So it's a tactic. So even if they are bluffing, if the property isn't worth it, it doesn't. You don't buy it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter. Someone, someone asked me the other day, Megan. Do you think we should, you know, jump in and buy one of these flood affected properties in Brisbane? Oh no! Really cheap? Oh my God! You can imagine that that conversation went for about forty five minutes about why not to do that. <laughs> do not, do not, do not, do not. It doesn't yeah. matter what market you're in. You shouldn't be buying B and C grade properties. 
Um, anyway, we digress. We so, do digress, yeah. <laughs> I, I do because it's really topical at the moment and I'm so concerned that people are going to jump on that bandwagon and it's going to take them 20 years to get another boom like this before they make any money out of the, the properties. Anyway, but weirdly enough, weirdly enough, there's been people buying in the boom before the floods and probably paying A-grade price for C-grade property. So, you know, they haven't been asking the questions that we teach you to ask. You know, <laughs> they've been making mm. terrible mistakes. They haven't been discerning, actually. Mm. And, and I've actually seen it across suburbs as well, and that is that people are prepared to pay... So all suburbs have different median house prices, different um, aspects to them that make them more highly valued than others. And uh, we sort of hit a point in Brisbane in particular where people aren't discerning between one suburb and another. They're simply saying that property has got what I want. It's an okay street and they're paying the same price in a a, a suburb that might have a median house price of uh, $600,000, they're paying the same price as a suburb that might have a median house price of a million dollars. So they're not discerning between suburbs in their fear of missing out. Um, and, and I think those, even though those might be very good quality assets within that suburb, what they've paid for them, they haven't discerned between the suburbs. So, you know, there's all sorts of little um, catches and intricacies in, in the pricing equation that you need to be really careful of when you when you do have that fear of missing out on a market that's rising rapidly. Now we're recording this in March 2022 and yeah. the market is changing across the country versus how it was last year in certain Sydney, Melbourne not as hot as they were last year but I think Brisbane's even getting hotter isn't it? It's it um, is, yeah. <laughs> it's We've just still got that popu- population pressure. Yeah, it's all the mm. it's all the Mexicans, it's all the Sydney siders and Melburnians that are Mexicans, migrating up there. Mexicans, expats moving back, people not leaving. So one one of the big um, exodus factors for Brisbane is usually people leaving to go to higher paying jobs, whether that be Sydney, Melbourne, ah. or overseas, and and that's just not happening at the moment. People are yeah. staying put. So we, we've got that um, uh, no. Uh, negative migration we've got a, a large amount of positive migration net migration is higher than i think anywhere else in the country was the last figures that i saw and that that pressure on um property prices coupled with the amount of properties that have been taken out of the property pool as a result of the flood events mm. so we've got even less properties now more people looking and and the, and the population increase it's it is just really difficult for people here right now. You've got to be so careful because this will not last forever. No. And this is one of the environments where people hate agents even more than in a normal market because, of course, those the agents are often seen as the barrier to people achieving their dreams yes. of buying a home, right? It's you in my way. It's not really the agent. They just seem to be the gatekeeper. And I think one of the other things that people complain about with agents is gazumping. Now, gazumping is a funny term. I don't, do you actually use that term up there? We don't Megan? use it in you Queensland don't? because it's, uh, it's a negotiation up to the point of contract. And once a contract is signed, it's legally binding. So it's not possible to be gazumped. The term, however, is used even though it's sort of not typically correct in many cases. And what that means is that people, buyers, think they've got a deal done. They think that their offer's been accepted or they think the price has been agreed upon. And, And then another buyer comes in and offers more money and they miss out. And so the you know, the, the term gazumping, as I said, gets used, whether it's correctly used or not. 
Um, and the agents, once again, about the whole idea about agents being gatekeepers in a hot market, mm. it's it's a tough position for them to be in because only one person can buy the property. And until things are unconditional, so we're in, in every state and jurisdiction as we, we do step through in the course, let's face it, it's all so different. different. Everywhere's different. So different. Um, in order to make that unconditional, in order to make sure that nobody can back out of the deal, there's certain conditions that need to be uh, um uh, met, that's the word I'm looking for, certain conditions that need to be met in every state and, and territory that mean the buyer's safe. And a lot of buyers will make an offer and they don't realise it's, an, you know, they don't know how to make it unconditional. They don't know how to make it um, to seal the deal effectively. Mm-hmm. And if the mm-hmm. agent isn't being really clear on what they need to do next to actually make that thing their property, then that can leave things open and they can sell it to somebody else. So, and so this is a really important thing that buyers need to get to understand the rules of the game so that when you do make an offer, you don't think you bought it until you actually have bought it. And that's when it's legally binding. That's when you've bought it, when it's legally binding in the state that you're purchasing the property. And that's different in every state. You know, in my and business. Depending on the process of purchase too. The, um, eggs, exactly, whether auction or private treaty. So mm-hmm. in my in my business, even when we were a sales agent, we used to say it ain't over till the fat lady sinks, you know. And so we used to joke and go, I can't hear the aria, I can't hear her singing. And that's because in New South Wales, contracts have to exchange until it's, done you know and so and and while the offer's floating around it might have been accepted right but until those contracts are actually exchanged that's the deal here anyway um Mm. then you know it's all bets right like anything can happen and the agent is usually the one that looks bad but it's not necessarily their fault but just remember the agent's job is to work for the seller and to get the highest price So even if there's a verbal agreement, it's not a legally binding contract. And the agent is absolutely, absolutely in their right. And not only that, has a fiduciary obligation to continue to see if someone else will pay more. Yeah. So So the quicker you can get that binding contract, the better. In summary, they're not all shonks. Sometimes (laughs) they're actually telling the truth. And it's your job as as a buyer to actually work out how to tell the difference and Mm. not just assume that they're all bad but also to be nice to them and actually give them enough information to know that you are interested and you can actually get more information out of them if you just have a conversation with them Mm. and don't treat them as the enemy. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.